Okay, let's go ahead and take our Bibles out. And we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Of this Gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, I remember when I was a kid, one of the cartoons that I watched frequently on Saturday morning was the Super Friends. And the Super Friends was kind of cool in that it wasn't just one of the superheroes. It had, you know, Superman and Aquaman and, and Wonder Woman and all these Super Friends working together on different crimes and things like that that were taking place and always foiling the, the plans of the bad guy. But I remember thinking as a kid, well, if I had to pick one, if I could be one of the super friends, which one would I want to be? I don't want to be Superman. I mean, he's pretty cool. He can fly. Wonder Woman, I wasn't going to be her for sure. She's a girl. But um, she did have that cool jet, the invisible jet. Aquaman, I always loved to swim and to be able to be down underneath the water and, and then not only that, but to enlist the creatures under the water to do whatever you want them to do and all that kind of stuff. He had some definitely cool traits too. But I remember there was always a struggle. I never really came to a conclusion. Now to be honest, it doesn't still rack my brain anymore. I've given up. I'm not going to be any of them. <laughs> but, but you know, that's the whole point. Is that when we look at this passage, it keeps talking about this power. In fact, it uses, back in chapter 1, we saw three different words used. The power uh, that we get our word dynamite from. The power that we get our word energy from. These, some of these same words are used again here in chapter 3. But it keeps getting pointed to the fact that all these things that can take place in our life and the ways that we can be strengthened are not according to our own power. In other words, we're not limited to our power. In fact, it's a power that is greater than that of Aquaman's or Wonder Woman's or Superman's. It is a power that is from God Himself. 
Now, as we look at that passage, that's really the main thing. As the Apostle Paul comes to this point in prayer, he really kind of prays for one thing, and then it unfolds with three results. And the one thing that he's praying for is for us to be strengthened. But it's not according to our power, it's according to God's power that we are to be strengthened. And that's what he's praying for us, is that we would have this strength, this supernatural, because it's coming from God, it's not of ourselves, strength in our life. It really kind of picks up. It seems that the Apostle Paul has been anxious to pray this prayer. He keeps kind of bumping it a little bit. Now, he started it in a sense. Remember back in chapter 1, verses 16 and following, he, he began to pray there. And he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might. And so He's already, at one point early in this letter to the Ephesians, delineated for them, what His prayer for them is. That they would understand, that they would get their minds around this glorious hope and this great inheritance that God has for them and be able to tap into that power that God has available to them. He went from there into chapter 2 where He began to unfold the grace of God. And how we started off as dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ made us alive. We recognize that by God's grace, He delivered us from our past, gave us a present reality where we experience Him in our daily life, and we look forward to a glorious future. But then our everyday life, how we walk in those good works that God is laying out in advance for us, all of this happens within a context, and that context is the church. And He starts dealing with us corporately, but as He was dealing with the believers in Ephesus corporately, He zoomed in on part of the church that was the Gentile believers. His language changes. Right? Because in, in chapter 1, the language was us. And even part of chapter 2, when it's talking about grace, the language is still us. But then after he finishes talking about the grace that we all experience, then he starts to focus on just this one group, the Gentile believers. Because notice what he says in verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up again this week is because he's still doing that. He refers to them again as you Gentiles in chapter 3, in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then in chapter 4, we see his language change back. Chapter 4, he's going to be talking about all that we have in unity together. In fact, if you look at chapter 4, And verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the flesh and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so he's back to we all. He was addressing us as a whole group at the beginning, a whole group for the rest of the book of Ephesians. But chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, you Gentiles. Why? Well, we focused on this quite a bit last week. Because in order to address you all, we all have to feel a part of We all. And the Gentiles had reason to feel a little bit on the outside looking in. He's trying to make the Gentiles feel that you belong. You're part of us. It's we again by the time we get to chapter 4. Now, in chapter 3, it's like he almost starts this prayer 
And then he backs away from it a little bit. Notice with me, the very beginning of chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I, Paul... Now look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. It's like he's starting to say that in verse 1. And then he digresses and follows a little... Most commentators call it kind of a parenthesis within the passage. Another really long sentence. It's like he's going to start the prayer and then, oh, but you need to know this. And he fills them in on a few things and then comes back to it. And part of the reason we know that is because of the language repetition there. He says, for this reason, and then when he gets to verse 14, for this reason, he's back to where he was. He's going to take off with it. Now, the other thing is, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, that's the subject. He leaves that subject just kind of hanging there with no verb. You look at it and he says, I, Paul... And then he says, well, assuming that you know, and he goes into this whole thing about his position in the ministry and and how God revealed this to him. And what he doesn't want is he doesn't want the Gentiles to be confused or discouraged. He's afraid they'll be discouraged because he's in prison. He kind of wears his prison as a badge of honor. And he says, don't be discouraged by this. And then when he gets into the prayer that he's praying for them, it's that they would be strengthened. That word strengthened is the opposite of the word discouraged. And so he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He wants them to be strengthened. Now he feels like they need a little bit more information before he gets into the prayer. So he goes off into that for a few minutes. But then verse 14, he comes right back to it. So you see where he started out at the beginning, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, he never lands on a verb. I, Paul, what? Until verse 14. For this reason, I bow. I bow my knees, and this is my prayer for you. And so all of chapter 3 is really kind of boiling up to this prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying for those Gentiles in that church, praying for the believers in that church, wanting to see take place. And you know what? It's the same as what he wants for us today. That's what we want to look at this morning is being strengthened by God. As we face our times when we may feel like we're uh, on the outside looking in or, or we may feel a little bit discouraged or overwhelmed at times, God wants us to be strengthened. And the encouraging thing is, is this is by a power that is, that is greater than that of the superheroes. Greater than can be imagined by man. In fact, he says that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened. So we're not left by whatever strength we can muster up. He's not saying, hey, look, just give it your best shot. Not not at all. He's saying, look, I'm praying for you that God, through the power of the Spirit, would give you the power that you need to handle everything in your life that you've got going on right now. To overcome those discouragements, to, to, to pick you up, to give you whatever you need to be victorious in your life in this present situation. Not only that, but notice how he ends the prayer down in verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We get to be strengthened by that kind of power. Now notice though, what is what exactly is he talking about? He says this is a power, this is strengthening that happens in the inner man. Inside of you. It's not, it's not, not your external circumstances, not your physical strength. It is a strength in your inner being, it says. And it takes place through faith as we trust in Christ. That inner man, that is so important. 
You know, this week I was thinking about life. And one of the things that I was thinking is, you know, we really need to put a lot of emphasis on this inner man. The Bible does. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And here's my thoughts for uh, us in the 21st century. My question to myself, and, and I would extend it to you, is do we live a life that's quiet enough to give importance and value to that inner man? The reason that I ask that is I notice I see it in my life. I see it in other people's lives. A time where we would have probably just been sitting somewhere thinking. Now we're looking at a screen. You have one in your pocket, your purse, all the time. And when we have a few minutes, what do we do? We, we pick it up and we go to Facebook. We check the news. We check the weather. We check, we check, we check, we check, we check. Why don't we just quiet? Why don't we just think? The Bible calls it meditate. Meditate's not the transcendental meditation of trying to empty yourself of all thought. The biblical concept of meditation is you take a thought and you turn it over and over and over in your mind. You think about it from all different angles. I found myself this week reflecting back to when I was younger. And even though there was a, a lot going on in my life, I liked to be active and doing different things. There was just time that you were just quiet. And you didn't have anything in your pocket, so nobody could be getting a hold of you all the time. But now, even in the midst of a pandemic, we're still in touch with everything. In fact, we're in touch with things that are on the other side of the world. And there's some good to that. There's some value in that. But you know what? We've got to be able to also just set it aside and to be able to focus on that inner being and allow that to think and to pray and to be strengthened. Well, as we look down through this passage we see that there's three results that come as a result of this strengthening in our lives. The first result that we see from our being strengthened is intimacy. Because he says, He may grant you to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, one of the results of God strengthening us is that we have this deeper relationship with Christ. That Christ will dwell in our hearts through this faith. It keeps repeating that. These things are happening through faith. But Christ dwells within us. We talk about people inviting Christ into their heart, talking about their salvation experience, that kind of thing. That's not what this is talking about. That has to happen before this can happen, what we're talking about here. But he's talking to Christians here. And he's saying, Christians, you need to be strengthened. You need to overcome this discouragement. You need to be one with the people that are around you and get the encouragement from them so that Christ can dwell in you. The word dwell means to like be at home. So that He can be at home in you. I remember talking to a pastor of mine one time years ago because I read a couple of books that dealt with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And to be honest with you, I was kind of hoping it was a separate experience where all of a sudden you just found some way to tap into God's power in your life in a miraculous way, and it was just something that kind of overwhelmed you, and it was an amazing thing, but I couldn't find any Scripture to really back it up. The Scriptures that I did see people quoting in the books that I read and stuff like that were not convincing. So I went to my pastor and I asked him about it, and I said, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He didn't give me the answer I was looking for, but I'm thankful that he did because he gave me the right one. He said, you know what it is? He says, think of it this way. Think of your 
life like a home. And in your home, you have different rooms. You have a living room, and you have a bedroom, and you have a bathroom, and you have a kitchen and a dining room. You have all these different rooms. He says, now let me ask you this. What rooms in your life are you uncomfortable with Jesus going into? Are there things in different compartments of, that you compartmentalize your life into? You're going to keep Jesus out of certain closets or certain rooms. Then you're not full because you're not surrendered. He says it's really not so much about how much of the Holy Spirit you have as how much of you He has. And that's what this passage is talking about here. That Christ will dwell in you. That intimacy of that relationship of walking with Christ. When we tap into the strength of God, that's where it's going to go. It's going to lead to that intimacy. It's going to lead to that relationship, that deeper walk with Christ and and the desire to have Christ in every room of your house, every room of your spiritual life, submitted to Him. Jesus described this in John chapter 15, in verses 1-11. through He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love." just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's like, I'm the source, you're the branch. and Cut off from me, you have nothing. You have no life. If you're not feeling the fulfillment that you expect or that you're hoping for or wanting in life, the answer isn't to go out and try harder or to do your best. It's to draw closer to Christ. Draw closer to Christ and let His life flow through you. As we look at it, that's what He's saying. He's saying as we're strengthened, notice all three of these things. There's, there's three times He uses the word that. The first one He says, so that. So it shows a, a cause, right? In verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right after that, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then skip down a little farther to verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You need to be strengthened so that this can happen. And then that this will happen. And then that this will happen as well. And so they're all caused by the same thing. That strengthening of God. The intimacy that we have with Christ. You realize that you can be a, you can be a born-again Christian and you can be kind of shutting Christ out of your life. In fact, in Revelation, we see an example of it. We often use this verse for salvation. And you're taking it out of context if you do that. But it does kind of work as an analogy for the point because when you're trying to bring somebody to Christ, you're letting them know Christ is knocking on your door, right? Christ wants in. He wants, he wants to be your Savior, but you need to open the door. You need to invite Him in. That's a fine analogy. But you know what? When you get to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, and it's a letter to the church of Laodicea, it says this, 
Behold, and this is Christ speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, the context of this is not salvation. The context of this is a letter to a church. And he's writing to this church. And he's saying, look, church, you're, you're my body. But you've, you've locked me out. And it's like Christ is outside the door knocking on the door. Hello? <laughs> Putting his face up to the glass on the windows. Hey, remember me? Let me in. He's like the church has gotten so preoccupied with other things that they've literally shut Christ out. And he's saying, look, I want back in. He says, if you'll open the door. I'm, I'm coming in. I just need you to open the door. And right back to terms of intimacy. I'll come in. I'll, we'll eat together. We'll, it's fellowship. That's the point. He's saying, look, if you're strengthened, then you're going to experience that intimacy with Christ. Well, not only do we experience intimacy, we also experience understanding. Understanding. Because he continues on through the latter part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's kind of a cool thought. I I twisted my brain up about that one a little bit for a while. Because he says, okay, you need to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In other words, you need to know what is not knowable. (laughs) He's saying you need to know the love of Christ, but you can never completely understand the amount of love that Christ has for you. That's exactly what it's saying. But he's digging into that and he says, you know what, you need to, I want you to understand. I want you to experience the love of Christ. And there's a bit in here to experience. Let's kind of wade through it a little bit. He says that you being rooted and grounded. He uses two different analogies here. These two different words, rooted, obviously, as an agricultural analogy that he uses here and it talks about a plant or a tree digging down its roots into something he's saying look you need to be rooted into the love of christ this is so crucial too he's dealing with it at a time where the gentiles were feeling a little bit on the you gentiles kind of a thing and he's addressing them that way and he's saying but you gentiles aren't you gentiles anymore now you're part of us what do they need to experience to feel like they're really part of us when they get to chapter four love and that's exactly what he's hoping for. He's saying, look, I just hope you can get your mind, get your mind wrapped around the amount of love that Christ has for you because it's truly astounding. It's really, I want you to know it even though it is unknowable. We spend a good part of our time thinking, well, we're not very lovable. Why would he love me? That's the whole point. His ability to love isn't based on your ability to be lovely. His ability to love is based on his ability to love which is unlimited. That's what he's dealing with here. He's showing us. Now he uses that one analogy of, of rooted. I remember, I remember having a conversation with somebody. I've told you about it a couple times, I think. But I remember having a conversation with a guy about, actually talking about teenagers, because uh, I was working with youth ministry and his son was one of them. But he said, you know, he said, I, I view raising kids a little bit like growing corn. And I was like, well, you've got to explain that one to me. But he said, you know, with the corn out in the field, you don't want them to have too much water. You won't, because if you, if you withhold water on them a little bit, the roots will go down deeper. They'll dig in deeper. And if they dig in deeper, then they're going to be stronger. So you don't want to give them too much. You want to give them enough, but you don't want to make them dig for it. And he said, not only that, you want some wind. Not enough wind to come down and destroy the whole crop, but enough wind to constantly be pushing on those stalks. 
Because if there's some wind pressure against them, they'll grow stronger to combat the wind. And he was talking about what he wanted, what was hoping for his son's life. He wanted to give him what he needed, but not more than what he needed because he wanted him to dig in and become a strong individual. And it worked. His son's a good man. That's the whole point is, you know, we need to dig down. We need to have be rooted into the love that Christ has for us. But then the second analogy he does is an architectural analogy. As, because he talks about being rooted and grounded. That word grounded was used in architecture to describe the foundation of a building. And it's the, that idea of being rock solid. That solid structure that can support the rest of a building. I remember years ago reading a book by Warren Wearsby. He was talking about when their church had a building program. And the contractor was putting in the foundation. And at one point, uh, Warren Wearsby went up to the contractor and he was uh, complaining about how long it was taking to get the foundation in for the building. And the contractor just looked at him and he said, Pastor, he says, I'll tell you what, with the foundation, he said, this is the most important part of the building. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. And Warren Wearsby left him alone. <laughs> but that's the thing is in order to go high, you've got to be grounded. You know, one of the comments that carpenters don't like to hear very often is when people say, well, they don't build them like they used to. <laughs> You know, because we're the ones building them now. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember a guy I worked for one time. I said something about that, about somebody making that comment. They they don't build them like they used to. And he said, yeah. He says, my response is always, yeah, they didn't build them as high back then either. You know, <laughs> because our buildings do tend to stretch a little taller in the sky now. Why? Because we have the technology and the understanding to go deeper in the ground for the foundation as well. I remember when they built the Columbia Center building out in Seattle, Washington at that time. It was the tallest, I think that's what it was called, pretty sure. But at any rate, it was the tallest building west of the Mississippi that was built at that time. That one, if I remember right, it was like 143 floors, I think it is, above ground. And it was like, I think they had to do, was it 75 floors down into the ground to be able to go 140-some up. In other words, the foundation has to match what you're going to build on top of it. And that's what he's saying here in this passage is, look, I'm praying that you will be strengthened by God so that you can be rooted, you can be grounded, solid foundation. What is that foundation? The love of Christ. That we can comprehend this amazing love that God has for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, not only do we have intimacy as a part of the, the results of this, we also have understanding that comes from it. And finally, we have fulfillment. Fulfillment. In the passage, the last part that he does, and, and, and it's kind of neat how this just follows the Trinity, doesn't it? Because he talks about us being empowered, strengthened, the power of the Spirit, Christ, the Son dwelling within us, and us filled with the fulfillment of God. It says in verse 19, the last part of it, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, when you stop and think about that for a moment, that's another, that's another impossibility. Because you and I, we're finite creatures. God is an infinite God. How are we filled with God? Obviously, can't talk about us having, containing all of Him. That can't be the case. Well, I think it's probably most clearly understood by what he points to in chapter 4. When we get to chapter 4, in verse 13, it's going to be talking about the importance of the church and, and gifts within the church. In verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think that's what it's alluding to. I think it's talking about us being filled with Christ, being filled with God, to us becoming mature in our faith, mature in our understanding of God, us growing up into what he calls this mature manhood, being filled with the fullness of Christ. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted for the church in his day. That's exactly what God wants for us today. He wants us to be strengthened, not to be discouraged. The Apostle Paul was in jail when he was writing to these people. They, they could have found something to be discouraged about. But the Apostle Paul says, that's not what I want for you. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be strong. And that strengthening will lead to these things in your life. Christ will dwell within you. You'll understand better the tremendous foundation of the love that God has for you through Christ and you can experience the fullness of God in whatever your circumstances are in this life.